This is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 to begin here in just a moment. Romans chapter 1. I'd invite you to take out your Bible and follow along with me, please. And it's uh, so important, I think, to see the text for ourselves and read the Word of God uh, for ourselves. It's a uh, it's a great honor. It's a great privilege uh, that we have uh, that not many people, relatively speaking, have enjoyed in our in our history. Um, but we have our you know Bible bookstores and translations and you know just a whole a bevy of things to choose from to help us. Uh, understand God's Word. And so I hope you take advantage of that this morning. Uh, Please feel free to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org. Shoot us an email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, So we're beginning a new study this morning. We pretty much wrapped up our Philippians study uh, last week and um, there in Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to, I would like to do this lesson today because it's it's a request. It's a, a requested topic. Uh, folks wanting to know about um, emotions in worship, feeling close to God. Uh, what does someone mean uh, when they say that? Should I feel close to God? Uh, emphasis again on the word feeling there. So we're going to uh, look at the scriptural, I guess, litmus test, the, the scriptural uh, determiner for who is close to to God. Is it a feeling? Is it something that we intuit? Is it something that we can sense um, you know, with with our senses, we see or feel it uh, emotionally or or spiritually, and we're going to uh, talk about that this morning. Explore some of that this morning, and I want to begin in Romans chapter one because I think Romans chapter one is is cautionary in a lot of ways. There's so many warnings uh, in what Paul is writing to to the church there as he's uh, beginning this letter describing all kinds of wicked behavior and and wicked be um, um, wicked people. And, and what characterizes them. And he challenges us, and, and this is 22 and 23 of Romans chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He says of these folks that they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Uh, so Paul is, as you know, as he's talking about these people here who have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, who have give, given themselves over to all forms of idolatry, and chasing after different things, even chasing after one another. Uh, of course, this is the text, one of the, one of the texts anyways, uh, that Paul will mention homosexuality and name it as as sinful. Uh, but he, here he's talking about uh, worship, that, that their behavior includes a component of some kind of worship. And he says that they became foolish and that they uh, began to worship uh, their own images and things that they made and, and essentially one another as as well. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God for things made in the image of, of corruptible man. And the warning here is that we have a propensity, generally, this is going to lead into our topic, but generally we have the propensity to, to change our concept of God um, and, and worship of God into uh, what we desire. We change it from what He desires uh, into what we think or what we feel or what we believe is acceptable to Him. So instead of doing what the Lord says, we easily and quickly do what we want, and then we dub that 
Uh, we call that honoring God. And a lot of examples of this in, in the Old Testament. Um, I've been studying Judges recently. Judges 17 is, is another example of uh, one, one example anyway of, of many within the Old Testament and new for that matter of someone uh, claiming to worship God or honor God, but they are uh, not doing it on his terms. And so it is not genuinely worship of, of Jehovah. Judges chapter 17, Micah, who has the house of idols, he's a liar, he's a cheat, and he's and his mother is too. And they um, send the, the they go to the silversmith and 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 he creates these idols for Micah from the money that he stole from his his mother, strangely enough. And so Micah has this house of idols, and he comes across this Levite who's passing through, who should have known better, of course. And this Levite agrees to live with him and um, be his priest, basically of his religion in, in his house and. And they will um, conspire together, and essentially they, they believe they're doing doing what's right. That and Micah is very excited in that text because he has a priest of the Lord, he has a priest of Jehovah in his house, and so he feels like that will validate him and validate his system of worship. So he's essentially right. He's gone against the first uh, first commandment of the Ten Commandments. He's gone against the numerous warnings and uh, commands against idolatry. Uh, and making graven images and things like this, but he soothes this conscience. He he says essentially decides that he is okay because um, he thinks so, because he feels so, because he has a Levitical priest in living in his house, and so he thinks he's honoring God. So worship is particularly susceptible to this process that we um, take something that God has made very ordered and structured, and and really nail down the particulars for us. In a lot of ways, and then we come up with our own version, and we call it worship, or we call it honoring God. Uh, and again, we see in the Old Testament where Israel failed, as not just you know in those specific examples like Micah and Jonathan uh, there in Judges seventeen, but just as a people as as a whole, they failed to maintain their faithfulness to God and the reverent worship that He had delivered to them through Moses, um, and they were given over to sensuality and pagan prostitution. Uh, which was way more interesting, right, and more uh, fun, uh, quote-unquote, um, but sin, sin's pleasures are only passing. So time and time again, Israel found that they uh, were unable to resist idolatry's exciting allure. Uh, they just wanted to continue to go in um, these things. In Numbers 25, verses 1 and 2, um, another example of this, if you look at Numbers 25, 1 and 2, Israel remained at Shittim. The people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people of, of uh, the people to sacrifice to their gods, uh, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So this is, um, historically, you might remember that uh, Balaam was hired by a Moabite king, Balak, to pronounce a curse upon Israel, but Balak, Balaam rather couldn't do that. Um, because God had revealed to him that these people were blessed. And so Balaam pronounces three blessings. And so in order to get paid by Balak, Balaam has to tell this king how to get at Israel. And he says, if you want them to fail, if you want God to turn against them, you have to seduce them away. You have to let them go into idolatry or entice them to idolatry. And so uh, later in, in Numbers, we find out that here in chapter 25, that's exactly what Balak was was doing, that the daughters of Moab were inviting them into these priests, and they were going along and 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 participating in uh, these um, pagan uh, prostitution practices and, and acts of worship and things like this. So it was just so enticing. It looked good. It sounded good. It felt good. And so they 
uh, they went after these things. And when we think about where uh, we are today and, you know, there's the numerous, numerous churches uh, all saying different things, uh, having different kinds of worship, uh, different patterns of worship. I, I think it's fair to say that we are in a church's entertainment error. Um, and, you know, there's very few, I, I think, churches that are that are following the biblical pattern. Some come closer than than others, I think. But let me just give you a few examples of, of what I'm talking about. So there's a, a, a senior pastor in, in California, and he, they have a church whose attendance runs over 6,500. So uh, over 6,000 people uh, assemble at this particular church. And so he was asked in, in, in a um, magazine interview, Vision Magazine, uh, what uh, what is it that you do to get these these numbers? And he goes on to describe how uh, he saw uh, this this play acting uh, bit. This uh, I, I guess it was a, a kind of presentation or a play, and it was meant for entertainment. But it was these biblical stories unfolding. And he noticed that um, he looked around and he saw people uh, laughing and weeping. And he thought to himself, he said, "This is this is our job." And he said he left that feeling, he left that event feeling elated. And he told his wife, you know, why can't we leave church feeling that way? It's obviously, uh, you know, evoking such a great response from from the people uh, watching. And um, his wife said, essentially, why why can't why can't we? Um, and so that kind of started this movement, at least in. In this case, in this example of of using similar uh, similar things to draw people, um, unfortunately, though that's not the that's not the church's job. Uh, there's nowhere in the New Testament are we called to put on plays to uh, get get people to to come to our assemblies or to to try and teach them. We are to engage them to be sure, uh, but we are not to. Uh, use different forms of entertainment to, to do that. Um, another preacher in San Antonio uh, said this, that he said, this is a direct quote, no longer can we afford the luxury of thinking that the people who are sitting in our pews are going to be there every Sunday. We have to arrest their attention. We have to use every device possible to reach them and to teach them. And we don't need to be so apologetic about entertaining them. Uh, they, ha- they have been entertained all week long, Every time they turn around, so we have no apologies for putting a good singer in front of them to entertain them. If they're not Christians, you have to do something to reach them, and I think that last part especially is is telling that you have to, you have to do something. You have to do something to reach them. Well, the Scripture reveals what that something is, and that is to preach Jesus uh, to them, uh, not try to arrest their attention by means of of entertainment. Uh, and then one final example is another Texas uh, a preacher. He says that he when he when people come to his church, he wants them to ask. He wants them to always be wondering what's coming next. I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Uh, he wants them to be thinking. He says uh, he wants to try and keep them guessing. Uh, and he's been known to drive a Ferrari on stage, uh, show a video clip of himself ordering a hamburger at McDonald's. Uh, he once brought out an espresso machine on the stage and, uh, to tell the parable of the coffee while he was making a cup of espresso. Uh, and so all these different forms of, of entertainment, and certainly they work, they draw big crowds, if that's our, our ultimate goal. Of course, that's not the goal of the church, to draw big numbers. 
We're not in the numbers game. God doesn't chart us by our numbers, uh, but He does chart us by results and conversions, uh, doing the work rather of His uh, in His kingdom, and hopefully that leads to converting people to to Christ. So the the problem is, and these people are very passionate, right? They're very they are drop dead serious as a heart attack uh, about their religion. When you begin talking to them. You will see that they are sincere and, again, very very passionate and fired up, and they're convinced uh, that they are close to God and that they're drawing near to God in those kinds of worship assemblies and, and services where, uh, you know, you have the, the atmosphere manipulated. You have a number of, of larger-than-life kind of spectacles. You know, they're driving on the Ferrari on stage and things like this. Uh, maybe candles are lit and, and different things like this. So, um, my question is, with regard to all that, uh, you know, and, and with the the mood lighting and and the different tactics that people use, my question is: is you can we not come close to God? Can we not draw near to God with the lights on, with without all that thing, without without all those things? Uh, can we not get close to God if we don't, you know, violate the fire marshal's ordinances and, and are lighting hundreds of candles and doing different things like this? Um, so I th- the issue to me is, from a biblical standpoint, is that we can't base closeness to God on uh, feelings. We can't base closeness to God on entertainment or larger-than-life spectacles uh, just s- simply because it's nowhere in the Bible. It's not found in the Bible. And when uh, you know, when we think about in the Bible where people spoke of, when the Holy Spirit inspired people to speak of a, a relationship with God and to seek a relationship with God, it was never based on emotion. Never. The Bible does speak of the heart and our service to God, but emotions are only one small component of what the heart refers to within, within Scripture. And how we feel and, and things like this. So about one-fourth to be precise. Uh, but there are passages like Matthew 9 and Mark 2 uh, that referred to the heart as, as the intellect. Jesus perceived people reasoning in their hearts. Uh, that, you know, as he was conversing with this paralytic and telling him that his sins were forgiven, they were objecting to that. They thought he didn't have the authority to do that. Of course, he proves later that he did when he heals the man and tells him to get up and walk. But um, the, the scripture, the point is that the scripture reveals that uh, one component of the heart is our, our intellect and how we think, not just raw emotion or, or feeling. Also, it, the, the scripture reveals that the heart um, is the seat of our will, is the seat of our will, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where Paul is speaking of of giving there. Uh, when, the, when someone in the assembly gives to the treasury of, of the church, Paul says that he has to do so as he has purposed, as he has purposed in his heart. And so, uh, again, the Bible is telling us that our um, our will, uh, our, our decision-making processes are seated within the biblical biblical heart, our conscience as well, Acts 2.37, where Peter uh, cut them into the heart that he was speaking to because of his gospel sermon. So it's not just emotion. Certainly there are scriptures that uh, refer to the heart as the seed of uh, emotion or affection and things like this, but uh, the, the heart, the biblical heart, entails so much, so much more. And the sad truth is, is there are so many people who who believe that they cannot get close, quote unquote, or feel close to God without some sort of external sim- stimulation, uh, like uh, you know, big bands or 
you know, in entertainment, different varieties of, of, of spectacles. It's not, you know, that's, and that's, and that's sad and it's pitiful. We can, and we can call that judging all we want, but it doesn't erase the fact that those folks need that stimuli to feel close to God. They need to uh, get ginned up and, you know, we can understand how someone can be moved uh, by uh, powerful music or, or things like this, uh, but we can't confuse an emotional uh, response to something uh, with being spiritual or, or feeling close to God, because again, that's not the standard of measure that the Bible uses. Uses, and so we have to use the true basis of being close to God as a guide for our lives. And uh, many people think that basis is emotion. So if I feel good, if I feel elated, if I have this kind of emotional spike in whatever I'm experiencing, then this must be a a spiritual experience. This must be from God, and so I feel close to God, but the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says otherwise. Uh, so people can think that their emotions are God calling them and drawing them uh, as evidence of their knowing God. But John says this, we know this. Uh, now by this we know that we know Him. This is First John 2 and verse 3. He says, now that by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Uh, so where in that verse do we read anything about emotion or an emotional high or euphoria or uh, some sort of religious experience. John is saying the way we come to know God better and the way we draw near to God and the way that we uh, come closer to God is by keeping His commands, by doing His will, reading the Bible and doing what it says. Didn't Jesus say, No one can come to me unless my Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day in John six forty four. And, you know, people, I think, commonly appeal to that verse, and we may hear people talk about how God is calling them in this way or that way, and maybe even go to this verse to, to justify their conviction or verify what, what they're saying. Uh, but the, the problem is, is they don't keep reading into the very next verse, John six forty five, Jesus says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And so John 6, 44, Jesus isn't saying that it's this uh, emotional, um, kind, of, kind of nebulous drawing experience. Um, you know, you have to be, you have to kind of intuit what God is doing or intuit when God is, is calling you and you just kind of feel it. Um, that's not what he's saying at all. And I know that because of what he says in the very next verse. He says, those who, are, uh, who have learned, who have heard and learned from the Father, those who are taught, by God, come to me. So how does God draw people? By hearing and learning. Not emotional uh, feelings. And again, that's not to say that there's you know n- no emotion at all or that um, you know reading the gospel is void of, of, of emotion or you know we shouldn't have any emotional response to that. And that's not the point at all. But but the point is is that what is what is used, what is what is given to people to to draw them is the truth, is is the word, not a manufactured experience, not a manufactured emotional experience or some great display of performance art. You know, think about the conversions in Acts for for a minute. You know, of all those conversions, in which of those cases, you know, did it did they ever involve God calling someone through emotions? And what does that tell us? I think it should tell us something. That's that's not his plan. That's not what he uses. And so the solution is uh, understanding. And I think what what the scripture, what the what the Bible writers are telling us is that when when the word of God 
is faithfully preached, uh, there will be a range of emotions. There will be remorse. There will be assurance. There will be joy. There will be satisfaction of, of knowledge gain. It will be an emotional experience, but not because we're going for an emotional experience, because we're driving for that, but because we are ultimately trying to teach people what the Bible says, and we are preaching what, what the Bible says. Uh, you know, and we when we engage in those acts of worship that we find in the New Testament that we are that we are commanded to participate in, like the Lord's Supper, observing the Lord's Supper, the memorial of His death, and remembering His death. That, that there are emotions in that. There should be emotions anyway of sorrow and gratitude as we reflect on on Jesus' sacrifice. When we think about singing that God has commanded us to do, Ephesians five nineteen, that singing has a strong emotional component. It's musical. Uh, but this emotional result is is directly tied to uh, what we are singing, the the lyrics, if if you will. What do the lyrics mean to us as worshipers? Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of reasons to love music. You know, just generally speaking, you know, because it's it can be beautiful, it can be moving. Uh, you know, from a technical or artistic standpoint, you you know we grade music on a, on a scale is, you know, we have good music and there's bad, there's bad music. Um, but the, the kind of music that is called for in, in the scripture is explicitly that, as Paul says in Ephesians five, that which teaches and admonishes and instructs and encourages uh, us. And so we are told what exactly to sing Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Paul says, and we are to make melody in our hearts to to the Lord, and so we do that. Um, again, our, our our music has a a goal. Our singing should have a goal again, and that is to primarily worship God, but also to be instructive toward one another, uh, encouraging one another, admonishing one another. And so that will involve self examination and thought, not not only as we are singing, but you know if we are if we have the talent to. Uh, uh, to be a writer, a, a songwriter, a worship hymn writer, perhaps uh, we have to give thought to the lyrical content as to what uh, we are trying to communicate. Not necessarily what emotion we are trying to evoke, because if that's our goal, then we're gonna we're gonna miss the target, and and we can easily engineer a great emotional experience. Easily do that. People do. I mean, people are hired all the time to do that, right? Composers for soundtracks and movies, right? They're told. Uh, this is the story. This is what we're trying to evoke here in this particular scene, uh, and the, you know, and then the music is written to uh, magnify or amplify, you know, the the emotional uh, tenor of that of that scene. And so we can engineer emotions easily, but our that's not our goal. Our goal is again to teach and instruct, and in doing that, in pursuing that, in preaching the word, and in singing. Uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as God has called us to do, we we will get that emotional response. Um, but it won't be us engineering; it'll be the Word of God evoking that response. I, and and I hope that that distinction is is clear. Serving God from the heart involves emotions, to be sure. But those emotions proceed from knowledge of God's will. Proceed from the admonitions and the assurances and the promises and the commands that we find in in his word and in in the songs that we sing to him and to one another in worship uh, so there's you know there's been entire movements uh, that would say absolutely absolutely not and you know and, and what I've been saying just flies in the face of 
uh, of what they would they would preach. And I, I want to recommend that we that we carefully consider uh, the danger of engineering assembly. So despite what I've said, they they may would argue, still argue and press the point. We know there's you know the the emotions that they're trying to produce are a good thing, and uh, you know we we are there's nothing wrong with looking for a certain specific emotional outcome. But again, I, I would caution us against that, uh, and I think that the, the scripture is is condemning that. In fact, but because the object of worship is to respond with God with reverence and obedience, the the object is not for us to feel good, which I would argue we will if we do it according to His pattern. That that comes as a natural result. The, the feelings follow the, um, the 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 structure, the the reverently obeying God and and worshiping Him on His terms and according to His pattern. Um, Psalm eighty nine and verse seven, David says this: God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. And so how did David how did how did the psalmist picture an assembly of the saints, a a a time of worship that this was a time to focus on God, to be reverent before him, uh, not closing our eyes and and swaying to the music necessarily um but to um Worship God, not answer or, or or soothe our own emotional needs, but focus on God, and and be primarily concerned with with the scriptures. And, and when we miss that, then we're failing to serve God. Then we're failing uh, the task that we've been given in worship. Well, again, which is to revere Him and to honor Him and glorify Him. And so we we give people something that can never ultimately be satisfying, again, if we are just shooting for an emotional response, because that, that will go away. That fades, right? All emotions fade. They're all temporary. And really, and, and furthermore, we're setting ourselves up to go down the road of apostasy, just as ancient Israel did when they were looking to these uh, sensual uh, experiences, not necessarily sexual, but sensual in that, that what they were doing was pleasing to the senses, pleasing to their eyes or their ears or their flesh in, in some way. Uh, so worship is is the avenue God has given for uh, converted people, His people, to show their respect for Him and honor for His Son. And these purposes cannot be served in any sense until we decide to follow His instructions. And that's what we have to do. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So faith that is based on feelings, again, falls well short of and misses the mark completely. Because faith, Paul says, has to come from the Word of God. Um, the, 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 the writer of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 28, 26, says that he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Is a fool. So we can't trust in our own hearts. Uh, you know, the heart is deceitful, Jeremiah says. But if we are, are digging into the Word of God and we're looking to the Word of God and reading it, and, and, and absorbing it again, feelings are going to uh, to come, but they should not be uh, engineered by some external stimuli uh, of, of people or events. But because we are genuinely seeking to do the will the will of God, again, there's going to be a whole range of, of emotions. But uh, you know, there's so many warnings against doing what seems right to to us. Proverbs fourteen twelve: There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. You know, I go back to John's words in, in 1 John that we considered at, at the beginning of this discussion in 1 John 2 and verse 3, that the way we know, John says, by this we know that we have come to know Him, 
if we keep his uh, if we keep his commandments that is how we can be sure that is how we can assure our hearts before him he will say later in that that chapter uh, that we do what he says and so that's where the assurance comes from not in feeling good uh, many people have felt good and have been completely wrong you know judges 17 again i go back to that you know one example again of of many uh, but Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So people can feel saved. People can feel good about themselves and, and feel any number of things, any number of positive things, and feel accepted. But that's dangerous business. Because Jesus is saying there's going to be a whole lot of people like that on the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 we know what he says there, right? Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, verse 22, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out many demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. It's one of the saddest verses in all Scripture. Many people are going to feel good and even point to what they did and say, look, doesn't this prove? Uh, doesn't, this, doesn't this prove that I knew you? And, but Jesus will say, ultimately, it was just lip service. It was just going through the motions. And again, we can feel good all day long, but our, our feelings should be based on our faithfully fulfilling the Word of God. Not simply going through the motions, uh, not simply rendering lip service, and not just um, trying to feel good for the sake of, of feeling good or doing things because they feel good to us or feel right to us, but sincerely serving and sincerely serving on God's terms. That's the full picture, I think. Again, by this we will know that we know Him if we keep His commandments and our joy can rest in the truth rather than subjective feelings. Curious to hear your thoughts this morning. If you would, please write in to us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. I hope this has been a beneficial study. It has for me. Uh, I encourage you to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org. Uh, please come and visit us on Sunday mornings, 9.30 for Bible class, 10.30 for worship services. We'd love to have you. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings. <laughs>